Hi, I'm Madhuri Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. Hi, and welcome to Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. I'm your host, Madhuri Krishnan, the editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and um, often challenged in pronouncing my own last name. Uh, and I'm joined today by Brian Summers, Skift's senior aviation business editor and my colleague of many years. Uh, Brian, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here again, Madhu. Brian, I wanted to talk to you about a story you wrote last week that was that caught my eye. Um, and that uh, is something that when I heard the news, I was also kind of scratched my head, and that was the heads of four U.S. and European airlines are asking governments to ease quarantine restrictions. Let's talk about let's let's talk about that for a second. Tell me what you heard and what uh, what you think of of this issue. Yeah, Madhu, it's good to be back here. This is, of course, my third time on this uh, podcast uh, wow. webinar thing, and every time I say roughly the same thing. Uh, U.S. airlines are uh, in denial. I don't know if this is like on purpose or it's a business strategy or they just have no other. What they did last week was the CEOs of United and American, along with their joint venture partners in Europe, said we have to fly to the European Union and we have to fly to London without a quarantine. So let us uh, test people, test Americans for coronavirus on arrival in Europe and everything will be okay. The U.S. airlines don't have uh, that much of a plan uh, to do this. They want the revenue back. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, I think these airlines are just going to have to get with the times and realize this is not a good time for airlines. It's not health problems. Well, before we start talking about that a little more, um, going into that a little more in depth, I wanted to just say that neither Brian nor I are public health experts. We are journalists Thank that cover the airline industry all the time <laughs> and uh and therefore we we are not anything we comment about on public health is just our opinion and just what we hear from the airline industry but uh you know to, to stop there for a second brian i mean honestly like who let's let's ask the first question like who is traveling across the who is Atlantic? traveling i mean of course there are people uh traveling between the united states and europe maybe before in my answer i made it seem like nobody uh was traveling right. There are exceptions on both sides of the Atlantic of who can travel. The most obvious people that can travel back and forth than perhaps we think. Yes. Also people who work in healthcare, people who work in other essential industries. And I think coming into the United States, even students are allowed. So the planes are full, but airlines want to be able to sell uh, to every. Right. And this is, uh, this is, of course, you know, it's worth remembering that this is the summer and it's when airlines make a ton of money, most of their money. Um, made, made a ton of money. Made, yes, made. Back in not, the day, not this year. Um, but uh, I, I just have to wonder, like, what, what were the heads of those airlines thinking in in asking governments to ease quarantine restrictions? I mean, the optics just strike me as not when there's a no, public health they're, they're emergency thinking, raging. They're thinking, you know, the United States opened its economy back up. A lot of people tried to think that things were going back to normal. These airline executives are, are not worried. I don't think, maybe there's some on the call here, but I don't think they're worried about the society at large. They're worried about saving their own companies. And the best way to do that is to generate cash. And one easy way to do that was to, is to get more passengers on transit very, very narrowly. Right. And for those of those viewers who are not 
familiar. I mean, for money, for for much of the European Union, U.S. citizens are have to do a mandatory quarantine of 14 days upon arrival. Um, and this, of course, you know, if you're a tourist going for a week's vacation, this is an impossible request or some impossible to fulfill. Now, from what I understand, Brian, I know you're probably hearing the same is that uh, enforcement is varies in across Europe. Right. But the people that airlines want to fly um, are the people that actually I mean, think about like a corporate traveler. Uh, no big corporation is going to send its people to the European Union and say, try to skirt the quarantine as best as you can. <laughs> right. Don't worry about it. We'll buy you business class both ways. Right. Right. So this is, uh, this is, uh, so you think this, this is a lost summer for the airline industry in the U.S. Um, and oh, it lost... is a lost summer. The question is, is it a last, a lost fall? Probably a Probably. lost early 2021 a lost beyond that i mean i spent a lot of time re-quoting uh scott kirby on uh, these calls and whatnot because I, I i i admire just the way he speaks his mind and he talked about a best case scenario last week being about 50 percent demand until maybe the end of 2021 when we wow. get not just a vaccine but a vaccine that people have taken and a vaccine that people works that right. are that works right and that's United CEO, Scott Kirby. Um, yeah, I mean, 50% demand through the end of 2021 is kind of an astonishing. I mean, that's 50%. And yet it would be a big jump for U.S. airlines from where it is now. That's true. That's true. If you look at the TSA throughput numbers, Brian, I mean, they're, they're pretty, uh, they're, they're showing some pretty grim things at the moment. I hope it's not. Well, they plateaued, right? Well, they plateaued and even the, the, the first week over week declines occurred last week. The first week over week decline since um, since the pandemic started occurred last week. So that's uh, that's not encouraging. And I hope it's not an augury of things to come. But at the same time, when you listen to the airline CEOs talking, it does sound like they're they're girding themselves for that. Look, Madhu, you know, I, I think in May and June, U.S. airline executives were betting that Americans were really, really dumb. They were so dumb. <laughs> executives may have thought that these people would get on airplanes no matter what the news says. And I think we're now seeing that, yeah, people do pay attention to the news and that excitement about Gulf Coast, Coast beaches would only last as long as people thought it was safe there. And now they see the numbers in, on the Florida Gulf Coast and they say, you know, maybe I don't need to go there now. And there's a lot of places in the country, the United States with hotspots right now, people are just deciding they don't want to go. Yeah, and I think the geographic spread of these hotspots and the, the just how the pandemic is rampaging across the country bears mentioning. I mean, you know, when when people were making those travel plans in for for May and June, right. a couple months in advance, uh, or maybe a month in advance, the the virus was by and large confined to certain regions of the country and not to leisure destinations, and was hadn't yet made its presence known unfortunately in leisure destinations like florida but um who but could have changed. seen this coming <laughs> anyone, anyone of course I, I get i get discouraged but i will say one good thing you saw airlines uh, a couple months ago basically say you know a, a, a lot of the stuff that they were doing was marketing related they wanted to get as many people on the airplanes that they could they wanted to tell everyone it was safe and so they instituted these mask policies and i know you don't do you don't necessarily like to talk about masks but 
you know, for a while there, there were lots of ways you could skirt the mask requirement. You could say you had a medical issue. You could right. say you were eating. You could say, the airlines are cracking down on that a bit. In the last week, several airline CEOs said, you know, you have to wear a mask. There are no medical exemptions on a few airlines right now. Delta has that convoluted process where you have to talk to a, a Delta doctor right. before you can get an exemption. <laughs> airlines realize that this is serious stuff and they have to take it seriously. You know, at the same time, it like why I don't like talking about masks, Brian, is that it's uh, the the requirements put airline employees in an awful position, right? I mean, they they are acting as the enforcers for a policy that makes a lot of sense from a public health standpoint, but does not have the force of law, and or. Um, or the you know or regulations from the FAA and that that absence of regulation from from the federal government is to me just astonishing. I mean, it's just putting airline in, uh, employees in a in a in you know in a place where they have to to police people and tell them to put their masks on, and the only authority is well, it's you know now we won't fly you. I mean, I I just it it amazes me that the government has not stepped in to make this a, a common do, sense policy. There are policy. a lot of things that astonish me about this federal government, and masks is not that high on the list. <laughs> if you're waiting for them to do something, you're going to be waiting a very long time, hopefully till about January 20th, 2021. Well, I think one, I think one of the reasons we've seen the, the, and I'm just speculating here, you know, one reason we've seen airlines become stricter with masks is the absence of federal regulation, right? I think they were holding out hope that the FAA or the DOT might might issue some kind of mandate, but that didn't happen. So they took matters into their own hands, and um, and they're getting a lot stricter about enforcing it. So that that is good, but uh, but man, yeah. <laughs> it's an all right. So I wanted to ask you about uh, something uh, that you've been working on at Airline Weekly. We bring up sometimes uh, the best case scenario, uh, China got back to flying sooner than the United States. If people are feeling down in the United States, sometimes they'll be, well, look look at the capacity that's coming back in China. I know you guys looked at the Chinese market um, this week. Uh, what did you find? Are things actually uh, getting back to normal there or well, are they not? The, you know, the recovery um, is uncertain. And it, there was a lot of promise a few weeks ago. But you have to remember, I mean, China's a vast uh, has a vast domestic market, just like the U.S., um, and that that does help its airlines. But the the international international travel is all but evaporated, even in Asia, where the virus is is more or less contained. I mean, people are just not traveling abroad, so that that really has put a dampener on um, on the recovery for Chinese carriers. And um, and the plus, you know, even though people are traveling more than they are here they're not traveling as much and this is this the green shoots that every you know everyone thought china's airline industry would was starting to recover and then would just take off but it just hasn't so uh, until this you know we've said you and i have said this a million times on this podcast on the three times we've been on this podcast until this virus is under control or until there is a therapeutic or a vaccine that is effective and has um has sort of immunized or yeah, I guess immunized. I, I don't want to say immunized that enough there's enough of a uh, immunity that's built up against this virus until that happens there will not be air travel it just won't come back wherever there is I mean it's gonna there will be of course air travel but it's just not going to be the summer of 2019 anytime soon 
anywhere. I do, <laughs> yeah, I do start to think that people are, 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 are realizing that. Um, yeah. Of course, we may have no viewers anymore. So uh, downtrodden and annoyed <laughs> that we're so negative and they don't tune in anymore. I don't know. <laughs> are we that negative, Brian? I don't know. But we did get some good news uh, from your uh, perspective in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I don't know if our viewers uh, know this, but Madhu has this uh, long-running shtick. <laughs> the guy hates the Boeing 747. <laughs> I don't understand why. And we're seeing fewer and fewer of them. Um, are you happy about this, Madhu? No. I, well, yes and no. First of all, I do not understand why the av geek world, uh, the aviation geek world, has this burning love for the 747, as it's I've the often called of it. the skies. The janky bucket of bolts. Um, it is a beautiful aircraft, but uh, it, 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 uh, there are other more efficient aircraft out there. And yes, KLM, um, this one I do regret because KLM had retired its fleet of 747s and um, brought them out, brought three combis, which is a passenger freight combination aircraft, um, out of retirement for uh, to fly medical um flights to china from the netherlands to china primarily for medical equipment the dutch government has determined that they no longer need that lift so klm is re-retiring the commies and why i say i regret it is that is one aircraft i always wanted to fly on it's such an interesting concept half cargo half pa or quarter cargo three-quarter passenger it's a it's a fun one so yes that there are fewer and fewer and i believe Qantas last week flew its uh already retired 747s to the desert in California. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So Just it is... Just think about how boring aircrafts are going to be in the next five years. You know, you're going to have like a the 320 family. You're going to have Boeing 737s, A330s, 787s, A350s, 777s, all twin jets. I mean, those are, they're boring airplanes. They're all boring airplanes, except yeah. maybe the 78. That's true. Now I'll, I will confess, you know, my I will reveal that my first flight ever was on a Pan Am seven four seven. In uh, when I was very young, I was an infant, and I was it was um, shortly after this the type was introduced in the Pan Am, so it was nineteen seventy three. Um, and my, you know, I flew a lot on Pan Ams and TWA seven four sevens back in the day because my dad's company had a corporate contract with uh, Pan Am. Um, I do remember, I just vaguely remember the carts of, uh, the carts of roast beef coming down the aisles uh, in first class, but, uh, it, it was a beautiful aircraft. Now my last flight on a 747 condensation dripped on me the entire time. And I realized how loud that aircraft actually can be. Um, it's a beautiful aircraft undeniably, but, uh, there's time marches on. I, I can appreciate the model T too as a fantastic car that time marched on. All right, uh, <laughs> well, we'll get the future of boring airplanes. Yes, exactly. So the time we have left, Brad, I want to turn to uh, U.S. airline earnings. You covered a lot of them last week. Um, most of the large carriers have uh, reported their second quarter earnings. Uh, what, what are some of the trend lines you saw in this, uh, in this quarter? Um, yeah, the trend lines are airlines are losing a lot of money. Um, they're uh, not very optimistic about the fall, right? Because usually you have a nice summer, and then when the fall occurs, business people come back. Most of the legacy airlines say they're really not expected to come back at all. Companies are very skittish about that thing. And then 
if we're still talking about the summer, uh, what I'm amazed at is the thesaurus that a lot of these, and we come up with uh, different ways to talk about uh, the choppiness of the summer recovery. So I think United executives talked maybe three or four times, and they said it's a jagged recovery, and other mm-hmm. airlines had uh, similar things to say. It just kind of goes up and down and up and down. You know, people were hoping it would be a V-shaped recovery. It's not. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what airlines do going forward. We've talked a lot about uh, before, you and me, about what happens on October 1st. Uh, some airlines are coming out there and saying, you know what, can we get more paycheck protection for the U.S. government help pay the salaries uh, of employees and the flying they're doing already? It's not clear that there's an appetite uh, from the Congress for this, but it's also not clear that they won't do it. Uh, so people, I wonder if we're all better off if airlines can get leaner. If you do another six-month extension, I'm just not sure this all gets fixed by then. Uh, mm-hmm. How many extensions do you have to do? I think we all have to plan for the new world of air travel where fewer people. Now, you did um, Southwest uh, earnings, Madhu, and thank you for taking that uh, from me. Um, they have a no furlough policy. They've had it for 50 years or whatever. They still say they're not going to furlough on October 1st, right? Yeah, well, I, you know, um, I don't I don't know if it's a policy, Brian. I think it's just a cultural thing. Or not just, it is a cultural thing. You know, Herb Kelleher famously you know, put always said his employees come first. Southwest, as you know, is is, is very focused on its employee culture. And um, uh, so I wouldn't say it's a policy. They just have this tradition of not doing it. And Gar- the current CEO, Gary Kelly, says he is going to continue that tradition. Uh, Southwest is planning to be 25% smaller this fall um, in terms of the size of the airline, the number of aircraft, they, and the routes it flies. Um, but it, And to be 25% smaller and leave 25% fewer employees. Now, 27% of Southwest employees have taken the carrier up on its offer, voluntary separation. About 4,000 or so took voluntary separation or leaving the company. And the other, the balance of that are taking, um, of that 16,000 employees is taking um, uh, leaves of absence of up a year or more. So Southwest got a lot of buy-in to downsize the air, airline and to reduce headcount without having to resort to furloughs. Now, what what is kind of what I thought, and you, I know you thought this, and we all thought this when we saw it. What is remarkable is Ke- Gary Kelly did say that uh, Southwest has plans to for furloughs and layoffs if they need to shrink further and they cannot get voluntary um, the number of numbers of voluntary leaves they need to shrink further. So, um, yes, yeah, crazy days, Brian. It's uh, right. it, the that Southwest is shrinking like this after fifty years. I just want to say, because I do sound negative sometimes, uh, I believe that the airline industry is going to come back. Demand is going to shoot up. People are going to fly again. It's going to be better than post-SARS, you know, earlier in the in the 2000s to fly. Um, and also for what you're talking about with Southwest, uh, th- these sort of games and are, are interesting, right? Because the airlines have to tell their employees how bad things are going to get, and they have to kind of dangle the threat of furloughs just to get more people, you know, maybe Southwest is posturing. You know, I yeah. always I always believed uh, we may have some Southwest on the call here. I, I, I never really understood the Southwest culture thing, and I, I, I'm beginning to get it a little bit. I do think that they are uh, 
by being conservative for so many years, I think they're relatively well positioned uh, to weather this. And I always used to ask uh, Andrew Watterson, who's their chief commercial officer, just like, you know, I said, I, you know, I like to fly in, in, in business class. I like to, I like to uh, know when I'm going to board, like, why don't you do that stuff? And he would, he would explain to me that it was okay to leave a little bit of revenue on the table now, um, almost scenario. I mean, I think. Yeah, I think they, they do. And, uh, you know, their, their uh, customer satisfaction scores were are quite high. I mean, people have expressed confidence in the way Southwest is handling the public health emergency and, and how responsive the company is being to cancellations and and reaccommodations. So it's a uh, it's in a good place. And um, I want to second your point, Brian, from earlier. I do think yes, we do sound like uh, Statler and Waldorf sometimes, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> we're we're not all. I I don't want to be as as negative either. I think travel will come back. Demand for air travel will will soar again. It's just not going to be for a couple of years. And if you're a company planning for that couple of years, is really difficult. So, Brian, what else did you learn from this week's, their um, last week's earnings? Well, American Airlines spent some time uh, speaking about its alliance with uh, JetBlue Airways. Um, it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, when American merged with uh, U.S. Airways, U.S. Airways executives and American thought, we're the world's largest airline and we should basically go at it alone. If there's a route that needs to be added, we can add it ourselves. If it's a long haul route, we can feed it ourselves. We can build a new hub, uh, a new global hub. In it was apparent even in 2019 when things were going very well for the industry that that, uh, that was not working. So Vasu Raja said on the earnings call now, looking back, he said in New York and LA, they didn't have the best strategy. They were they were too small, too, too large to pull out. So they uh, actually just before the pandemic hit, had uh, Alaska Airlines for this international West Coast Alliance. And now they're doing something similar on the East Coast uh, with JetBlue. Uh, you may remember uh, American had before uh, the merger. And I think it does give us um, some view into how airline period where they realized that they cannot be all things. You know, there was this time in the United States that wasn't that long ago where two U.S. airlines would team up. And that did go away the last few years. You know, you had United and Continental teaming up uh, before the merger. United and U.S. Airways had a co-chair agreement. Uh, I want to come back. Uh, people may know I live here in Los Angeles. I can almost see the airport looking forward here. Hmm. And, and I just uh, selfishly, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what happens at LAX because we have... Uh, JetBlue, actually separate from this American East Coast, is expanding at LAX. Alaska is fighting for share. American is pulling back, but not all the way through. Uh, United said that it was going to hang it back. Uh, so as a cranky flyer, Brett Snyder, the blogger, likes to say, it's a bloodbath at LAX, and it's going to stay that way. So probably good as a flyer. It'd be interesting to see uh, how much cash is lit on fire. in LA is a tough market. I mean, no, no one airline can dominate that market, but every airline needs to be there. Right. Um, and it's also, I mean, we've got a, a few minutes left. It's also interesting to me just because uh, it's such a, it could potentially be a fragmented. Well, it is a fragmented market, right? Well, I mean, yeah. yes, but like, I, I've always wondered why, why more, well, you can explain this. Tell, tell us about like the, uh, 
the airports in the LA basin. I mean, why why all this attention to LAX when well, first... LAX is probably uh, it's geographically you want the airport to be. It's on the west side of Los Angeles, near where a lot of people with money live. Um, it's just it's just in the right place. Um, Ontario Airport that people talk a little bit about, um, and I don't know if anybody's listening from uh, Ontario, but it's a ways out there. It's in the Inland Empire. There are a lot of people out there. There's, uh, but it'd be really hard uh, to b- build a real. Uh, and then you have an airport like Long Beach. Long Beach doesn't even want to have an airport out <laughs> there. Uh, Burbank is pretty small. Uh, I think LAX is. Um, and then you look at things like. Um, you know, a lot of the business that airlines do, not all of it, you, you get an airplane that comes in from Asia on a code share partner, and then those people go out through the United States. And that, that all needs to be done at the same major airport. If, if American goes out to Ontario out to try to run some sort of a domestic operation to chase the money, then they're not getting as much uh, Qantas feed. So all the airlines just want to be want to be in LAX. We did see some growth in the last couple of years um, in places like Burbank, uh, but I think Got interesting. It's such it's the fascinating market, and I'm really curious to see what uh, these new partnerships will, how they'll play out in LA, and and what whether airlines will, you know, like uh, will reverse some of those decisions, like pulling down a seven. I think everything's on the table. Everything's going to change. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. The yeah, airline industry got a little stale in 2019. The only thing they <laughs> had to cover really was maybe the pilot shortage. And what ridiculous route uh, some route planner was a launch interior Africa from Denver. I mean, I'm, I'm joking right. about that, but it, it was it was crazy stuff there for a while with route planning. And just how much more premium the premium product could become. That just seems kind of quaint to think about now. Yeah, not not just how premium premium could come, because some of that is, is, is of course, marketing, um, but how many premium seats were added. Yeah. Um, and how many amenities like lounges and tarmac transfers? All of that seems rather quaint. I miss it all, Madhu. I miss the lounge. I miss the theater of travel. You know, the... you talk about like why people like the seven four seven. People like me that, that that have a romanticism about air travel. You know, you go from the lounge, you walk through the airport, you get on the airplane. Um, there was something to that, and I fear it's it, it's over. Well, you can do some of that at Long Beach, right? You can feel like a movie star when you're disembarking at Long, Long Beach. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Brian, you also don't remember being five years old and your mom forcing a necktie around your neck because you're going to get on a Pan Am flight to London. That you was know, not... If this were a, a really well-produced <laughs> webinar, Madhu, you'd have a picture. You know, somewhere I do have my Pan Am wings. You know, the first time I was in a cockpit was in the um, flight attendant or stewardess actually brought me up to the cockpit of uh, 747 en route to London. Um, and uh, I got to sit in the uh, next to the flight engineer because it was, what, a 100 or two. Uh, and look out the window and it was it was entirely too thrilling. And I even still somewhere in my house, I have my uh, the the TWA book that they gave to kids um, on the 747 and how they had to build a new, new hangar at Lambert Field for it. Um, so I don't get me wrong. The, there was a lot, the romanticism, I understand romanticizing travel, but I also don't ever want to have to wear a tie and a scratchy suit to fly again. 
I don't think you'll need to. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, we are uh, we are at time. Um, thank you so much for joining me this week uh, for this very uh, very interesting and wide ranging and personal. Thank discussion. you, Madhu. It, it was my pleasure. Uh, had a great time. And per usual, if anyone has any feedback on this or any of our webinars, you can reach me at mu at skip.com. 